Michael Vonner's and I saw a tweet that went viral where a lady had been saving a thousand naira every day in that year. She'd been saving it in the box. And so on December 31st, 2015, she broke the box, she took photos and she put it on Twitter that she had 365,000 naira. That's Odinayo Eweni, the co-founder and COO of PiggyVest, an automated savings and microinvestment platform based in Nigeria. In a recent conversation, Odun recounted the inspiration behind the company. The conversation, a lot of it on the internet, was around people also wanting to get their own wooden boxes so they could save like that. And we thought that that was at odds with the reality in Nigeria where the average person has two bank accounts. So why were people not considering saving in their bank accounts who were actually going to get physical boxes? So we started to think around how can we exploit this? And so we came up with the idea for creating an actual digital piggy bank. That's how PiggyVest started. So back in 2016, PiggyVest launched as a recurring savings platform. It was called PiggyBank at the time, where users could save as little as 100 naira per day, an affordable and accessible option for Nigerians who otherwise were not using the formal banking sector to save. And as we continue our series of episodes, exploring the startups and entrepreneurs digitizing informal and analog industries, it's clear who or what is PiggyVest's offline competitor. Their competitor is the wooden box and the physical piggy bank. So in this episode, we'll explore PiggyVest's endeavor to change the savings behavior of the average Nigerian, the growth strategies the company employed to build trust and loyalty amongst its users, their plans for expansion, both in terms of product and geography, and much more. Before we start, we'd like to thank MFS Africa for their sponsorship of the entirety of this conversational series. MFS Africa is building the digital infrastructure to make mobile payments interoperable across the continent. Their API hub connects over 200 million mobile wallets in almost 30 African countries. Later in this episode, Odun talks about the digital infrastructure that enabled PiggyVest to build their product. It's part of a larger open banking trend we're seeing in the ecosystem, where third-party startups are providing open access to consumer banking, transaction, and other financial data from banks and other data sources through the use of APIs. This data and infrastructure can then enable an innumerable amount of products and features to be built on top, both in financial services and other sectors. It's something I talked to Abdul Hassan about. Abdul is the co-founder and CEO of Mono, one such infrastructure API startup. The way I see financial infrastructure, it's in two buckets, right? So there are people that they provide APIs just for payment. And then there's the data part. So what we've done is we've connected to about 20 financial institutions in Nigeria where we can retrieve financial data from. So there's a bank statement, transactions, return balance, income, credit and debit, right? So those financial data can then be used by businesses to maybe perform credit score or maybe you want to build a new experience in your application, your, in your web app, so you can use those financial data. The way we see the market in Africa is like, what we've done today is an infrastructure that can help us build other things as a company. So today, we recently launched an identity API that allows you to get the total identity about a person, like their name, address, phone number, email, even their photo ID, right? Now, if you look at it, those information can then be used for something like one-click sign-up. So whereby, you can just click on a button and then the business will have access to your information. You don't need to enter the information manually again. So that makes the market becomes bigger because then you can then target e-commerce, for example. Later in the show, we'll hear a bit more from Abdul about the use cases for and implications of open banking infrastructure on the continent. One last thing before we start. In addition to the podcast, we've been publishing an increasing amount of written content, including long-form essays and bite-sized insights shared via our newsletter, The Flip Notes. Visit theflip.africa slash newsletter to subscribe. All right, here's PiggyVest's Odenayo Iweni. You're listening to The Flip, 
the podcast exploring more contextually relevant stories from entrepreneurs around Africa. So where I'm very interested in starting the conversation and to go a little bit more in depth on in particular is you and your co-founders I know are sort of entrepreneurs with a tech background. You don't have a wealth management or finance background. And it's interesting because in this space, there was the banks who weren't doing this. I know that there's other fintechs in Nigeria and, and certainly some of the founders come from a finance background versus you know a technology or a product background. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what is it about you and the team and how you built this company that you think makes it successful? And is it in fact the fact that you're not finance people and your product people and tech people that is what is sort of Piggy Vest's core competency here? I think that there's a very healthy mix of several things in there. And I think that us not being finance people actually does play a role in being able to abstract from what should be and then think about what we want to do and what we think should be. Because the background of an engineer is to find a solution. We would look for a solution and then after the fact, look for the regulation to fit around it. Right. So we were not, I suppose, bogged down by, oh, this isn't how it's supposed to be because these are the rules that said it shouldn't be that way. That being said, before we had Big Invest in 2016, between 2013 and 2016, my co-founders and I actually spent a lot of time building companies and had a lot of them failing. So we'd been working on B2C companies for three years and continue to do so even after we started Big Invest in 2016. The full focus on Piggyverse actually came like in 2017 when we realized there was something here. So a lot of what we were doing was building for consumers and speaking to consumers and hearing them and trying to understand what they wanted to see in their financial partner, now what they wanted to see in their employment partner. So we'd had quite a bit of practice, I think, with like talking to people and figuring out how like a lot of these services should fit into their lives before starting Piggyverse. And also the execution from us was a bit different. It was, we focused on bringing money back to the basics for people. And I have a background in computer engineering. My two co-founders have backgrounds in mechanical engineering and computer science, respectively. And so it was a matter of what is the best solution, the most basic solution for this. And, you know, at the time we didn't quite realize how highly regulated the sector was. So we just kind of built first and then, you know, the rules followed. Yeah. And so a lot of your core competency, and, and I'd love for you to talk from a product perspective, but my understanding is a lot of your core competency is, you know, designing a product that engenders trust and being really great at customer acquisition and community and all of these things that I think banks are also, and other fintechs, but banks certainly are very bad at, right? And to some extent, like the financial product and the yields, like it's kind of commoditized. Is that a fair, fair to say? And that's what your differentiator is, is that you're just distributing the same product everyone else is, but in a much better way. Yeah, I think that because if someone said, what would prevent someone from getting into this business? The answer is absolutely nothing. Anybody can build it. So there's no secret algorithm for creating a recurring savings platform. If you can integrate into Paystack, you too can do it. But like being able to gather all these people, make them trust you, make them understand the product at the most basic level. And, and certainly hasn't hurt that we came first. So everyone else came after. So there was already us. And for a bit, it was just like piggy vest, piggy vest before everyone else came to join the party. So I think that was really nice as well. So yeah, distribution is something that we learned to do. And growth hacking and finding the shortest way possible to get the 
best possible results. We did it on our previous startup with much, with very successful results, but just like on a much smaller scale than Piggyver. So I think that, yeah, I think you nailed the competencies part better than I could have explained it even. Thank you. I try to do my research. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd love to get a little bit deeper from both a growth and a product perspective. What are some of the things that you've done? I know you created 90-day savings products and a lot of the different things, especially from a growth perspective, to build out that trust. Can we talk a little bit more in depth about some of those interventions and product decisions that you've made that have worked really well over time? Okay. The first one is that on the main wallet on the platform, you can only withdraw for free once every 90 days. And that was done both for the users and honestly for the business. We were running an asset under management company. And the only way to properly manage assets is when you can retain them. When can you retain the assets? So we decided that this is something that we needed to look at. And then if you look at the 90-day savings period, people can put their money in banks, right? And they can access that anytime. So what would be the difference if they put their money in PiggyVest and they can access that anytime? And the goal here was also to help people save substantial amounts of money. But then we also looked at how long can people go without their money for? And we thought, you know, 90 days is a very fair assessment of where this needs to be. So the shortest possible period for a very comparable amount of value, you know, you're earning interest, you're saving. What we saw was at the beginning, people were like, what is this 90 day thing? But now people are saving for so much longer, like people who go for the entire one year stretch without touching their funds, people who go for six months. And I thought that at the beginning, it seemed very difficult and very raw and not very data backed, you know, because there was nothing else to measure it against. But now it turned out to be the best decision because that's what actually shaped the habits that you see today in all of the users. And that's a feature that's continuing, that's going to continue to stay. It's never going away just because it works so well in helping people modify their bad savings habits. And so if you can do 90 days, then you can do 180. If you can do 180, you can do the whole 365. That's kind of how it started to build up. And then I think that another interesting one is on the target savings feature, where if you do set a target, say to buy a phone, to buy a bag, to buy anything, you have to reach 70% of that target. It's again, it's a form of financial training. Right. Like you said, you're headed here. We don't set that target for you. And now it's our job to help you meet up to it or at least try. So every wallet on the platform has its own very tiny behavioral modification thing that we try to put in place. Uh, It's uncomfortable at first, but we find that users eventually start to get used to it. And then they start to ask for even more restraining rules. But obviously that's a personal thing. Yeah. And I guess any issues that they have with those interventions, they have to take it up with their former selves and not with, with piggy vest. And, you know, they try to take it up with customer service and, you know, we try to be as human as possible. There are always extenuating circumstances where you have to sit with the user to figure these things out. But for the most part, rules are rules. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so interested. I mean, sort of the second part of the question also just on engendering trust and building community and the growth interventions that you guys have done. You know, I think there's this general pervasive narrative on the continent around the difficulty of digitizing informal industries, right? And in Nigeria, there probably was a lot of informal savings. There probably still is a lot of informal savings. It's very difficult to measure, obviously. But so how did PiggyVest really overcome that, overcome the challenge of getting people to feel comfortable to do that 
in an environment and on a continent where this narrative, again, is, is pervasive, that it's a very difficult thing to digitize and to formalize. To be clear, I think that Nigeria still has a very huge informal market. And I don't even think BigVest has begun to scratch the surface of the number of people that we could help to save. But as for how BigVest was able to build the community, we relied very much on social media and word of mouth. And I suppose those two things are intertwined. So when we started BigVest, very important to know that we didn't have money. So it was very clear that we needed to be smart about how to get people onto the platform. And so we started with people who wanted to get wooden boxes. Who are those that wanted to get wooden boxes? So my co-founder, Josh, actually approached one of the people who was selling the wooden boxes to come on the platform and check it out. In hindsight, that was a very smart thing to do. At the moment, it just felt, yeah, you know, talk to that guy. And so we started that way. And then we started to plug into trends and conversations on social media, especially Twitter. And what we quickly realized after nine months was that when people had successful experiences on Piggy Vest, they quickly went back to Twitter, much like they would if they had a bad experience to talk about it. And because we were new, it really sparked up other people's curiosity. So on December 31st, or 2016, the first ever final withdrawal of the year that we had, everyone was requesting for their funds back after a whole year of saving. And we saw the most insane thing happen. As soon as someone gets their alert hit, they'll go to Twitter and they'll say, oh, I just withdrew this X amount of money from Piggy Vest with interest. Thank you for helping me save and this and that. And then, you know, people kept doing that and then they kept on being this attention. And all of a sudden, someone who worked in radio, slightly more popular than everyone else, did the same thing. And then there was just like this huge explosion of people asking, what is Piggy Vest? How can I sign up? And for us, people who were building a product without a, a lot of resources, it just became clear that the best way to market this thing is for people to hear about it from other people that they trust, Right. We don't have to spend as much money on traditional marketing and all of these things if we can just keep maintaining good experiences for people because people will talk. And, you know, we ended 2016 with, at, I think, 460-something users. And then we ended 2017 with, I think, about 50-something thousand users. And then in 2018, it was 130-something thousand. In 2019, it was 700-something thousand. And now we're going to end this year with close to 2 million. Because the experience is what we decide to focus on. People will speak, just give them a good experience. So close to 2 million, that's great. And just in Nigeria alone, to be clear, right? You're just in Nigeria. Just in Nigeria alone for now. We're really closely looking at other markets, but Nigeria is really huge. And I think that there's still a lot of value here, although... We will very, very soon <laughs> be looking at other markets and seeing how we can do the same thing there. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to ask you about expansion. We should just go to that topic right now. I remember you giving a talk. It was during the New African Renaissance Conference where you did that panel with Shola and Patrick and so on. And I remember somebody asking you about expansion and you just said, we're just going to follow Paystack. Right? That's true. <laughs> And so obviously, ASEC now has a mandate to move to some other countries, I'd, I'd imagine. And so I'd love to get your perspective on sort of requisite infrastructure. You know, is it truly that you're just going to go into whatever markets Paystack goes into because they're opening them up? Or are there other considerations around geographic expansion in particular? I think that for us, 
one of the most enabling factors for launching in Nigeria was that Paystack had launched a month before, right? And that meant that the dream of recurring transactions on the person's card was real, and that meant that we could build our own product. So I think that that infrastructure is still very key to whatever PGVS can do in any other country. That being said, there will be other factors to consider, like the size of the market vis-a-vis the kind of effort you have to put into it, and also the fit, right? You have to look at the people's lifestyles and how does recurring transactions fit into it? You know, do they have the needs that we identified in Nigeria? There is a thing called collective education of the market. Nigeria was just kind of prime in that space that Piggyverse launched, that it was just really ready. I say this because we had several products before that that were just slightly before their time and then they failed. So you have to look at the market and look at where is like the population at right now? Is there an inflection point coming where this product is going to fit perfectly? And then does the infrastructure exist? So in that regard, you might not want to look at expansion as because we're in Nigeria, we expand across Africa. You might want to look at it at which other markets around the world could use this kind of product and have like all those factors already working together that we can then go in there and launch with, or I won't say minimal, but not as much problems as if we launched in, say, another market. And then potential partners, right? Potential partners are very important. When PDVS launched, we launched in partnership with the microfinance bank and then grew from there. Who would those be in, say, Ghana or Kenya or Rwanda or Uganda or Mexico? You know, things like that. Yeah. And from a growth, an organic growth and trust perspective, does it feel like you have to then start from scratch in a new market where the Piggy Vest brand isn't known? Because it feels like you guys had this slow and compounding growth and built trust. And obviously the product is more mature, but at least from a brand recognition perspective, if you launched in Kenya or in Mexico, it's kind of square one. Is that a fair statement to say? You know, I think if we launched in Kenya, it'd be maybe squares 1.5. I think Piggy Vest is slightly known there. If we launched in Mexico, it would be like, proper square one where you'd have to build brand recognition. And I think that that's where funding comes in. We haven't raised a subsequent round of funding so far because first of all, Nigeria is going pretty well and we're going to work on getting several things in place before then raising a a subsequent round of funding, which can then allow us to go start from square one in another market. We already have these learnings from building from scratch in Nigeria. I don't think that you necessarily have to experience that slow compounding growth again in another market as long as you already did prerequisite research before going to that market to launch. So I think funding is very important when you're thinking about that. Yeah. And staying on the topic of expansion, but talking more so from like a product perspective and vertical expansion. So I've heard you mention in the past insurance. I know you've mentioned crypto as well. I'm curious, especially as it relates to sort of the macro considerations in these markets and especially a market like Nigeria, with inflation and with, you know, all that's happened with NSARS, how much of that do you take into consideration as it relates to like your product roadmap and how much of it is needing to then also figure out what to prioritize? How do you select what to focus on? I think that that's a very important question because we reached a point this year where we started to look at what would be the most useful products for the people on the platform. And I think that when you think of alternative products like crypto and Forex and all of these other plays, you need to look at the people on the platform and then look at what is best for them and then what is best for the business, 
we have a forex product and we have a crypto product in the works as well. But what is most important is that the roadmap has, we've made some slight modifications, but it's remained largely the same. Trigivers has close to 2 million users. And one of the most important things there is that it is officially a mass market product. And because it's a mass market product, the need of the people on the platform expands past the need of a niche population. And that means that when you're thinking of product offerings to those people, you cannot just think of the things that you hear on Twitter or the things that you hear on Instagram. You need to hear the people who are using the product and figure out how they're using the product. I'll give an example. For instance, there's been a lot of conversation about how the Naira is not what it used to be and how are you going to hedge against it. But here is a product that has, again, quite a, a number of people. And one of the things that you must realize about the Nigerian market is that for some people, currency devaluation isn't even a conversation they can afford to have, right? Because they don't have enough money. And, you know, we make the mistake of thinking that if people are engaging with digital products, it means that they have money or it means that they're very well to do. But that, that's not necessarily true. There was something I was reading the other day, and it pointed out to me that if you are earning 150000 in Nigeria, you're in the top 1.8% of the population. That's incredibly insane when you think about it. And then when you abstract that to the conversation you have about cryptocurrency, about Forex, you start to think about it very, very differently. That there is so many people for whom Naira is still the daily reality. And so that's kind of how you have to think about the product that you offer to everyone, is who are you speaking to and who's likely to use it? Right. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on at Big Invest is that we continue to make products that people, everyone can use. Everyone. Affordability and accessibility is how you have to think about everything, including cryptocurrency savings, including insurance, including any kind of product you want to offer digitally in the fintech ecosystem in a way that's sustainable for their day to day lives and that fits their Nigerian reality. And so, you know, that's kind of how we think about products that we offer. And so, Sometimes it might seem like we're just waiting and watching, but that's really what we're considering. Yeah. And it's so interesting. There's always this question about how deep is the Nigerian market when, you know, these consumers don't have a lot of money. But it seems like it's Piggy Vest's belief that if you design products correctly for the average Nigerian, that there's demand, right? And as long as you make it accessible and affordable to your point and design it in a way that fits their realities, then you can grow, I mean, I don't know, it can grow to a 50 million users in Nigeria or something like that. Definitely. I mean, for you to continue in this business, you have to kind of hold that belief. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think that. I think that a lot of us, Piggyvest and all the other fintech companies, believe very much in the fact that there can be value that can be created and there can be wealth that can be created if you allow people to start small, give them the infrastructure that allows them to start small. And out of like a lot of the messages I got, I, I had maybe like 10% of them telling me that what you've built is not just a business. And that's incredibly moving. I had someone who said he saved for two years to get a laptop. He saved for two years to get a laptop. And now that laptop that he got is now compounding his income. And I think that it's incredible that just the availability of this platform is why he was able to do that. Clearly, I'm not saying that like fintech is the you know be all and end all for wealth creation. I, I do think that it's making a dent. I think that if you create accessible 
average product that everyone can use that goes back to the basics of financial planning for people, then I think you can, can be able to make a market that's previously not there. I'm curious to hear what you think about competition, because I think where this conversation is going, and, and certainly the premise that I wanted to start this conversation with is that your competition, PiggyVest competition was the wooden box, right? But as you start to talk about insurance, and as you start to talk about crypto and Forex and remittances, like there's a very interesting thing that's happening in Nigeria, which is like, every fintech seems to all of a sudden become the same thing. You know what I mean? Like everyone's offering has some sort of mobile wallet, is doing remittances, is adding crypto. And I wonder if you have a perspective as a builder on, you know, as you look at expanding your products, do you say, uh, we don't care what anyone else is doing because we have more users than them? Or is that not even a consideration because the opportunity set is so wide because, again, your competition is non-consumption? Well, I mean, you know, I definitely care. I, I don't know why people say they don't care about competition. You have to care. Come on, they're building the same thing as you and attacking the same market. Anyway, so I, I think that there was something I was talking about on Twitter the other day is that that's what fintech is, right? Fintech is going to come, look at financial services, break it down completely, unbundle it, hopefully make it better, and then start to rebundle. You know, everyone started, it's like, I'm a savings company, I'm a loans company, and all of a sudden you just cancel the difference between everybody again. I don't see a problem. I think that as you build, your users ask you for things. And you have to, based on your data, make those decisions whether you want to launch those products or not. So I think that's what's happening. It's a rebundling, but it's not new or different than what was expected. This is exactly what was going to happen. Maybe a bit earlier than I thought, but very interesting to watch. But certainly the only person who wins here is the consumer. They confess, right? Yeah. And Paystack. Paystack wins too. Oh yeah, always. Paystack always wins. And, and Flutterwave, they all just like, you know, they process all the payments. We all use the same people. So. And one day we're all going to be building, you know, fund managers and banks. And we're going to all have started as apps. And I think that's very interesting. I, I think in maybe two, three years, you're going to see so much consolidation of these products. And it's going to be very, very, very interesting to watch. Do you think the ecosystem and those who are building in the ecosystem are open to that sort of consolidation? Is there going to be, you know, like the X.com and PayPal style mergers that we saw in, in other markets? Because it's, it's also, it's like everyone wants to have their own company, you know? <laughs> From a Nigerian perspective, I understand why everyone wants to have their own companies. But I also think that it really depends on who you speak to. The people I've spoken to have mostly been open to it in theory. I think the problem is usually in practice. How does it all work out? But I think that at some point, we will not have a choice. At some point, we need to come together to form stronger entities that can then stand the test of time. Of course, I could be wrong, but that's just how I see it. I think that because of the kind of volatility that the Nigerian economy experiences, you're going to need a lot of strength. And strength is usually when you come together and attempt at these things. I definitely believe more in collaboration. We always maintain that we don't think we can do everything. And so we're always open to working with people who can. And I think that's important to keep that state of mind so you don't run yourself crazy trying to put your hand in all of the pies. Thanks as always to MFS Africa for their sponsorship of this episode. Earlier in the show, we heard from Abdul Hassan, the co-founder and CEO of Mano, on open banking and API infrastructure. 
In an environment with limited data on something like consumer spend, for example, we can see how open banking can create even more opportunities and insights for businesses on the continent. So I think one of the interesting things that could eventually come out from what we're doing is like an enterprise solution where you as a company, you can do competitive analysis. You want to understand, for example, let's use e-commerce. There's Conga and there's Jumia. Jumia wants to understand what Conga customers are buying. How much are they paying for items? At the end of the day, Mono has all this data. Those things are anonymized. Jumia wouldn't know that this is Conga customer, but we will tell them this is what people are spending money on the most in this segment. So we could do all those data analytics. So if we have a lot of merchants on board, and then those merchants have millions of customers, everything then could get connected. There's definitely a network effect. That's it for this week's episode of The Flip. Next week, we're back in Kenya to talk with a Y Combinator-backed startup building tools for informal retail on the continent. See you then.